So you're in Luke chapter 5. I want to share a message with you this morning called The Reset Is Now. So if you've joined the church or you've started coming in the last six months, you're probably unfamiliar with the language of the reset. But I'm going to tell you a brief story. I'm going to take you through the last couple months so that you can understand that this ministry is under massive transition and there are things that are happening here. The vision of this church has not changed from day one. We're four and a half years old. We planted in June of 2018. We're approaching our fifth birthday, anniversary, whatever you call that. But God is really shaking some things up in this fellowship. The Lord has come in the last just few weeks and greatly transitioned things. And I have a burden on my heart to make sure that everyone at least has a fair chance to decide for themselves if God has really called you here because you need to be clear in your heart in your mind about what he's doing and about where we're going how many of you like clear vision okay we talk a lot about unity but unity is the fruit of clarity when we have clarity we'll have unity so we want unity but we need clarity first we need everyone to buy in I'm hoping this morning for maximal clarity so there can be maximal buy-in to what God is doing here at our father's house are you with me this morning so back in October of 2022 at the leading of the Lord. We did not meet here on a Sunday for three straight weeks. We had no services. We took up no offerings. We encouraged no one to give. And I'm going to take you through the seven points real quickly that constituted our reset. Okay, if you want to write these down, this will be new for some of you. Number one was to repent for the influence of church culture at our Father's house. What are we defining as church culture? That's why you need this so that you're not lost. If you were here with us before the reset, we took four weeks and we went through this. And I want to put this back in front of us this morning because this is entirely where we are heading. You need to understand something. We are in an all-out war with church culture. We are in an all-out war with a culture in America that teaches you that it's okay to come to church and just receive your whole life. The shift that we've had away from the gospel, away from New Testament DNA, is called consumerism. And it's trained people that church is actually for you. And God in this hour, in the midst of massive awakening in our nation, is coming to take His church back. I feel by the Spirit of the Lord that you need to hear that God wants His church back. He wants these meetings and everything that we say and do in our lives to be about Him. We have preached a gospel to people that offers them the benefits of salvation, the power of the resurrection, without calling people to the cross and the death that Jesus died. You have an entire group of people who call themselves Christians and whether or not they're born again is ultimately God's to judge. But you have an entire group of people who call themselves Christians who want the benefits and blessings of a relationship with God without the sacrifice and obedience He requires. See, I've already made peace with God about the message that He's called me to preach because I understand it's confrontational, but when people are sleepwalking their way into hell, wouldn't it be the kindness of God to wake them up? 
We need to wake up in the body of Christ. We need to repent for our selfishness. We have made, we have perverted the gospel. Here's what church culture is in a nutshell. It is a set of expectations that people come into a body with that many times they're blind to, but they carry them with them and it wants to alter and shift the DNA away from God's kingdom and into being a nice little local church. I'm not putting the local church down. God loves the local church. But He's asking this body in this hour to begin to carry something for our region and for our state. And it is going to require all of us, especially if you call this place home, to buy in and sow in and invest in what the Lord is doing. So we're coming out of church culture. We're repenting for the influence of it. That was the number one reason why we did not meet in October. And we asked everyone to fast and pray and seek the Lord. The amount of God activity that took place in people's lives, the dreams, the encounters, the words, the blessings, things shifted massively during those three weeks. I'm telling you that God did more with us not meeting for three weeks than had we met for three years. How does that fit into your box of religion? That says I have to go somewhere and I need someone to preach to me. Guys, I recognize that there's a, an element where people think this feels rude, but it all makes sense to me when you've been taught that the church is a landing pad. The church is a place for you to come and settle down and make friends and have a little fun and go through the motions of life. But the true church of Jesus Christ is a launching pad. It is supposed to catapult you into your God-given destiny. It is supposed to train and equip you so that you fulfill the call of God on your life. But if people come in expecting to be entertained and they start getting equipped, it's offensive. I had somebody tell me recently, your, your church is like the big leagues. Like, this isn't the big leagues. We're not the Green Berets. I just want God. I'm just ref I refuse to make excuses for my sin. We have been publicly repenting over and we will continue to repent and own it before the Lord because pride has no place in a mighty move of God. True moves of God, true outpourings of the Holy Spirit are always set apart by deep and continual repentance. Some of you are feeling the squeeze and the pain and the, the anguish of wanting to hang on to your old life. A trusted prophetic voice said, I feel like there's grief and I feel like there's a grieving that's happening and yet there's life that's coming. We have tried to make our meetings about life and God wants them to be about death. We've wanted things to be life-giving and inspiring. All of that comes through dying the death of Jesus. Through crucifying your selfish desires and being made righteous with Him and walking in a manner worthy of Jesus. Am I preaching this morning? Are you hearing me? I want you to wake up and sense the moment. My heart is that nobody would miss it.
that this moment that we have would not pass us by because these are the most important days in the life of this church. God is doing something. He's awakening people. People are coming to God in droves right now and we need to be fixing our eyes on the harvest. If it takes another six months for us to break this tank out, I'll tell you and I'll own it first, we've failed. It's time for us to repent for our lack of evangelism. For our, lack, for our fear of man that we don't tell people about Jesus. That we don't ask every server that we've ever had when we have dinner and lunch out, hey, we're about to pray, how can we pray for you? We've got to begin to be the salt and light of the earth once again. A scared world needs a fearless church. I fear that we've been afraid of the opinions of man and it has silenced us. So why in the world, Paul, are you in a black suit? Because our Father's house, as you've known it, is dead. And I stand before you this morning to preach the funeral of the old wineskin of this church. Because God is calling us to get a new wineskin. It might seem dramatic to you, but it's real to me. And it's real before the Lord. It's time for us to step up our expectations of what God can do in this place. Were we not repenting just one Sunday ago for all of our unbelief? For all of the things that we put in the way of us and God? I want to gather with people. I want this to be the fellowship of the burning hearts. I want this to be a place where everyone leaves their excuses in the parking lot and forgets about it because I'm here for Jesus. Because when we gather, we expect God to move powerfully. And it doesn't just stay here. Because church culture is all about a Sunday morning. Church culture teaches you that you're a Christian for two hours a week and then you go home or maybe an hour. But this is about carrying the kingdom of God as a seed within you. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of the week, you're carrying, you're manifesting the death of Jesus that life might work in other people. Are you hearing me this morning? I want to highlight a few things on church culture if you have your hand out so that this is exponentially clear for people. Church culture is the one-man ministry. We have created a culture in the church that's centered around pastors and personality. I'm going to read from the FAQ that's on the back wall that answers this question. Who is the pastor? As a community who is deeply determined to glorify God and not man. Someone say amen. amen. We believe team leadership is the New Testament pattern. We believe in elders and deacons functioning together to serve the needs of the church. We reject the one-man model of ministry as insufficient and unbiblical. We are actively seeking to equip leaders to grow in their responsibilities as we share the load together. Jesus Christ alone is the chief shepherd and therefore He is the pastor of the flock. But when you start preaching the scriptures and teaching the scriptures, do you know how many people are just, they gasp when they realize someone being the pastor of a church isn't in here? That we have an, where is church culture most deeply embedded in the leadership structures of churches? We've lost. If you really want to wrestle with how far we've drifted from the pattern, just read the book of Acts and go, what in the world have we done? 
We've allowed the world to influence the body of Christ and she has become a business and an organization where pastors are CEOs and associate pastors and executive pastors. I guess they're the COOs and the CFOs. And the world, uh, somehow the church, looks more like the world. It's time for those days to close. We believe in the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. You know why? Because it's in the Scriptures. Because I'm not smarter than God. Because I don't have the arrogance to say God doesn't do that anymore when nothing in the book proclaims that to be true. So He's given the fivefold ministry to equip the saints so we share the pulpit, so we invest and we invite other ministries in because we believe in the full expression of the ministry of Jesus. So there's no lead pastor here. There's a plurality of elders that are being trained and they are going to care for the needs of the flock. Elders are among the flock. If you've heard the word elder so many times because of church culture, let's be honest now, elders are the rich men in the church and we have to give them access so that their money doesn't walk out the door. So the elder board is over the church and these men aren't truly spiritual. They're not shepherding. They don't meet the qualifications of Scripture. Guys, this is church culture. Is your brain starting to rattle yet? What have we done with God? God's church what have we done we need to repent we need to feel the sorrow of God that we've said Lord we're smarter than you and we're going to do it our way now I'm telling you this is my greatest fear are you ready church without God have you ever been in meetings that were dead as a doornail I'm talking about, I've been in meetings where people were jumping and shouting. He wasn't there. I left and just felt pierced. We have people gathering all over this nation. Raising their hands in worship is radical. Jesus had to raise his hands to get nailed to the cross. But we want to keep ours in our pockets. We are under the Laodicean deception. Revelation 3 and verse 14 begins Jesus addressing the church at Laodicea. Please go read it for yourself. He tells them, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So how God feels about our lukewarmness is it moves Him to throw up. I don't know about you, but that's not a pleasant experience. That's not something that if I told you you're going to throw up an hour from now, you wouldn't be happy about it. But God is dealing with lukewarmness in His church and He's desiring to raise the temperature so that we catch His fire. So that we feel the heat of His gaze. So that the, the reality of the Word of God would become real inside of our own hearts. So that someone wouldn't have to hold your hand every week and convince you that God is real, you would know it for yourself. The new covenant in Hebrews 8, the desire of God is that all would know me from the least to the greatest of them. You won't need someone to teach you. Listen, we love sermons more than we love Scripture. 
We love worship albums more than we love reverence and repentance. Something is wrong with our appetites. If we called a prayer meeting or we said we're going to teach on the spiritual gifts, which one would be better attended? You know the answer. It's because our appetites are off. Why? Because in church culture, you crave information. But in kingdom culture, you crave intimacy with God for yourself. Every thought of, I'm not being fed, or you're not doing this or that for me, is the leaven of church culture in our hearts. You're taught that you have to belong, in order to belong somewhere, you have to have friends. And while I think friends and relationships are very important, and we work hard at cultivating a family here, can I tell you something? Jesus didn't say seek first relationships, He said seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and God will take care of the rest. It's time for people to come because they connect to the vision that God has laid out rather than a personality or friends because if God has truly anchored you somewhere if he's put that call and that fire then you're not allowed to leave then no matter how hot it gets see here's the 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 grief we're talking about grief here's the grief that I've had is that people will come and we're like a breath of fresh air and they're like whoa this is amazing this is what I want and then they realize that this isn't an event this is a lifestyle and this is painful And this is costly. And this is going to cause you, why? Because the farther you go in God, the less you can take with you. The conviction of the Holy Spirit increases in your life and you're like, Lord, can I I keep doing this? He's like, no. You're like, oh, but but it's it's not a bad thing. Yeah, but it's carnal and it's numbing your spirit. You know what dulls my spirit more than anything? Scrolling social media. It's literally like, I, like cancer. Just, just doing this. i just literally rubbing the fire of God out of my life just one scroll at a time. Some of us need to get off of the opinions of people and get into the prayer room. God is moving us. He's transitioning this church. I said I'm in a, in, in a, a, a jacket here, in a suit, because our Father's house, as you've known it, is dead and gone. I'm begging you, please don't try to resurrect it. It is time for us to release this church, and I'm first in line, to allow God to determine what He wants this place to be. That this isn't our church, it doesn't belong to us, that we have to follow Him at all costs. If He says to shut it down for three weeks, or three months, or forever, we do it because we're submitted to Jesus. Because we're radically following Him and He's the Lord of our lives. He's the head of this ministry. You still here? So we're moving away from the one-man ministry. We embrace the five-fold ministry. There's no lead pastor. There's elders and deacons that shepherd and care for the flock together. Look at the values here on your handout. Number five. I just want to highlight a few. In church culture, you define success by money and attendance, right? How many people were there? How much money came in? Did you know you can have a lot of money and a lot of people and not God? We want to define success through Christ-likeness. Through presence and power transforming people's lives. 
If we do all of this and no one is changed, we are laboring in vain. Look at the attitudes. Just a couple here. In church culture, you attend to experience church. How many churches market an experience to you? Come and here's what you're going to experience. I don't know how many flyers I've had in my mailbox over the years that don't say God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Gospel, Bible, nothing. I can't tell if I'm being invited to a social party, to a fall festival, or to a church. But we've made this normal. And if someone speaks up, everybody's ready to shoot that person. We've only just begun to take bullets here. Why? Because if you dare to challenge the status quo, the religious elite become threatened. They begin to feel the rumble that people just want God. Oh no, people are leaving the circus and they're just going and gathering around Him. God wants to be the main attraction in His church once again. The early church, it says they gathered together to pray. They were devoted to prayer. I felt deeply convicted. Oh God, I've cried out for Acts 2 power without Acts 1 prayer. I've wanted to just show up and just see you do stuff. And, and I've not wanted to fast and pray and get on my face. People will come for someone else's fire, but God's calling us to get our own. He wants us to get our own oil. He wants you to have your own walk with Jesus so that if all the churches shut down, if every pastor entered into immorality and sin, you would still walk with Jesus because you know Him for yourself. In church culture, you fellowship out of convenience. Well, we can't make it. I don't have time. Guys, our priorities are off. When you begin to address the idolatry of entertainment, of sports, of all the things that we fill our lives with that pull us out of orbit from God, that take us away from the gospel, that's when people really start to feel the cut deeply. Is God the number one priority? I remember playing baseball, all-star baseball. We were really good. And they began to have tournaments on Sundays. And that's where my parents drew, drew the line. And I'm so grateful to God because I needed to be in the house of the Lord, not on a baseball diamond. I needed to hear the truth and be in the presence of God and have my heart and mind transformed because you know what? I'm not playing sports anymore. I'm not good anymore. But I know Jesus and I can influence everyone around me. We got the RBI factory down here. I call it the really big idol factory. People come in droves. Will we gather for God? No, too busy. We have other things to do. Seeker sensitive is the attitude within church culture. You come to receive. This is one of the biggest shifts for people. In the, in the kingdom culture, you come to pour out. You come to lay it on the Lord. You come to say, God, I'm here to lavish my tears and pour it out on you. Uh, every time I gather, every time we have a life group, every time we have someone over for dinner, we live intentional lives. When we have people over to our house for dinner, it's like, Lord, what do you want to do tonight? 
How can we pray for them? How are you moving? You're looking for the leading of the Holy Spirit, not just someone else to be led. You guys here this morning? How are we doing? We wanted to receive a new wineskin for the new wine, and we wanted to restore the New Testament pattern. We wanted to reject the deadly poison of consumerism. Guys, thinking that church is for you is cancer. Not only has the church made things about people, she's made it about lost people. This is a departure from the biblical pattern. People don't like to hear this. 1 Corinthians 14 says, When an unbeliever enters your meeting, prophecy lays them bare and the secrets of their heart are revealed. Does that sound like they're gathering as an assembly of called out ones with a purpose before the Lord? Or does that sound... No, here's what we've done. We've watered it down and we've catered to lost people so much. I have a burden on my heart. Make the church spiritual again. 1 Corinthians 2 says that spiritual things, things of the Spirit of God, cannot be comprehended by natural means. We've catered to flesh and natural and sinful. That's why we show movies in church. The gospel is full of beautiful stories and we can't bring them to life. We'll just have to show you a movie to keep you entertained because the pastor's tired from preaching every week. I'm here to tell all the secrets this morning because the church of Jesus is sick and she needs a reformation. We need things to shift drastically. Hear me, my friends. I love the bride of Christ, but you have to accept one thing. We're in the midst of a massive moral collapse in our nation. Churches are bigger than ever. Bigger budgets than ever before. And all those buildings and all those people and all those money can't even help the moral fabric of our nation decide what's a woman and what's a man. That's how lost we are. Where pastors have become puppets and they say things in order to not offend people. Jesus, the most loving man who's ever lived, the most courageous leader, stands before the rich young ruler. It says he looked at him and he loved him. And he said, go and sell all you have to follow me. And the rich young ruler, he walks away sad. How about in John chapter 6? The crowds are swelling. Jesus has a successful church rolling. This is it. This is the moment the disciples have been waiting for. Look, we're popular. Everybody's coming. They love your teaching, Lord. And He says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And half of them are like, what do you say? And they say, Lord, this is a hard statement. And Jesus, this, this, is, this gives me courage. This puts steel down in my spine. Massive crowd. They start leaving. What does Jesus say to the disciples? Do you want to leave too? Oh, you know everything. And you want, oh, please don't leave. Oh, Lord, oh, I, I messed up. I take it back. I need to put out a public statement. I didn't mean that. Oh, please don't leave. No, he's like, hey, you guys want to go too? Because I'm here to do the will of my Father. 
I believe, I'm just crazy enough to believe, God has convinced me that there's a remnant of people in this region that are hungry for the truth of God's Word, that want God's presence, that don't need gimmicks and games and a show, that just want Jesus Christ, that want to see people come into the kingdom and be transformed the way that they were, that want to be equipped and trained to do the works of Jesus, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, you're going to have to repent for your unbelief first. You're going to have to repent for putting God in the box of your experience. Well, I've never seen God do it. Well, that's a good thing you're not God. God is God. Let God be God. God's really good at being God. He's been God a long time. How long? We don't know. He's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He didn't like, listen, He made the world. He created time. What does that even mean? He just spoke and you get the world. He raised the heights of the mountains and plumbed, pushed down the depths of the sea. This is our God. And yet we gather in His name and we're bored. Because we're full of worldly things. Because our appetites are off. Because we're craving the next meal. And we need to learn to feast on God for ourselves. Are you hearing me? How are we doing? I love you. It's going to be my new thing. I love you. I'll just tell you I love you because I do. Listen, you don't like my messages? I don't like them either. I have to live them. I have to live with me. Seriously, Lord, why, why am I just agitated all the time? Because the Spirit of God continues to stir me up and I feel grief. I can't walk by lost people and not care. Because hell is real to me. Because people are dying and perishing. Because I want to love the lost more than I love myself. People are dying for you to tell them about Jesus, I promise. Whoever taught you that someone is just going to be like, hey, could you talk to me about God was wrong. We have to stop waiting for an opportunity and make an opportunity. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, fix your eyes on the harvest. The fields are white for harvest. There are souls that need Jesus. They need a family to come into. They're broken and lost and hurting. And they need to be restored and repaired through the power of the gospel. Working and alive through men and women who know Jesus. That's you. That's me. We want to raise the standard of righteousness. Release those not truly called again. This is all from September's preaching into October. And we wanted to rest in God's presence and promises. Can I tell you that the war, all-out war on our personal lives started when we did the reset. I've not said any of this publicly, but during the reset, I ended up getting scarlet fever. Like, what is this, Laura Ingalls Wilder? Like, Little House on the Prairie? Like, what is happening to me? I was supposed to be resting and all of a sudden afflicted with sickness. I've been carrying pneumonia in my body since then that I'm fighting and struggling to get rid of. I've been on antibiotics three times. There's real warfare. There's a real price to pay for walking. But can I tell you, Jesus is worth it? 
Jesus is worthy of whatever suffering, pain, or affliction you might experience because of Him. So we go down to North Georgia, and the Lord says to me, I'm weeping at an altar and I'm crying, and He says to me, you have fought me at every turn and transition of your life, and I want you to stop. Now that's not something you want to hear from the Lord, but it is what He said to me. I wept, and I wept, and I wept. God, I'm so sorry. Sorry, forgive me for my stubbornness, for my arrogance. Forgive me for resisting you. Forgive me for uh, thinking I'm good at doing your will later. Forgive me, Father, for praying not your will, but not my will, but your will be done, and I I lied. Because I still wanted my will for my life. I still wanted my will for this church. And so the Lord said, will you give me your yes? And you think, oh, don't do that flippantly. I'm like, "Um, I got to be honest. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with my yes? No, the Lord said, "Your, your yes, your whole life, Paul, has been a maybe if it seems good to you. I said, okay, Father, you're really disciplining me and dealing with me. I gave the Lord my yes and there's been a dramatic shift and I feel like God is calling some people this morning to give Jesus your yes like never before because you might end up living where you don't want to live. Hello. You might end up working where you don't want to work but you're called to work there. You might end up sharing the gospel with people that you're uncomfortable. But you know what? You gave the Lord your yes. You gave Jesus your whole life. He owns us. He's our master. And I bartered and negotiated with God. It doesn't work. You don't get to negotiate with God. You can try. You will lose. Please take my word for it. Let me save you time and money and energy and pain, real pain of trying to resist the Lord, of trying to say, can I get another option? Can I put the card back in the deck and you deal another one? So I've given the Lord my yes, and we gave the Lord our yes. and We've given Him the yes for the church, and things just continue to shift and change and move. I want to personally ask you for prayer. Those of you that have listened to me for years, you know I don't do this because I just I don't want to make this time about me, but I feel to ask you for prayer because things are shifting so rapidly in my life. I feel like I can't hardly keep up. In the next 2 months I'm going to Kentucky, Northern Ireland for a week, Georgia, North Carolina for a week, back to Kentucky, not to mention trying to help people start churches in Ohio, Illinois, Texas, and eventually Florida. I have more on my plate than I've ever had, and that is requiring me to release a lot of things that I've been carrying. So even your expectations of me, I'm asking if you would graciously release me into what God is doing in my life and pray for me and with me because God is moving in this nation and He is expanding the territory of His kingdom and it's really exciting to see. It's really a privilege, a humbling experience that people want to build God's church biblically once again. 
It's thrilling. It's my passion, if you know me. Foundation, order, all those things, DNA. This is what courses through my veins because when Jesus gets laid as the foundation, everything else is set right and it stands the test of time. We need true and living New Testament churches in this hour. We don't need houses of worship that are built on sand that are built on what people want. It's time to give God back what He wants in His church. So I'm asking for your prayers for me. So what does the new wineskin look like for us as a fellowship? I'll share with you a few things so that nobody is lost. We will have morning prayer here. You have Tuesday 6 to 8 a.m. This building will be open. We want you to come and seek the Lord. There might be live worship, there might be worship playing, but we want you to come and plow in prayer and believe for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe that what God wants to do here will be sustained by one thing, and it's prayer. If we neglect the place of prayer, if we abandon the ministry of prayer, what God is doing right now in this body will fade. Thursday over lunch, 11 to 1 p.m. This is going forward. If, if this changes, we'll let you know. But for now, we've got four hours to come. Perhaps you can make it before work. Perhaps you can make it during your lunch on Thursday. But we want you to come and to pray and to invest spiritually in what the Lord is doing here. Is that clear? We have prayer every Sunday morning at 9.15. I'm asking you to make it a priority if you can at all. We're considering shifting. For, we're just going to pray and then worship and see what God does. If I change the service time to 9.15, would that help? What time does it start? Well, it really starts at 9.15. And you can get here at 9 and say hi to some people and get coffee and then we're going to pray and get in the Holy Ghost. How are we doing? Another part of this is fasting. We've got to be adopting a lifestyle of fasting. Jesus said, when you fast. I wish he said, if you fast. I'd be like, Lord, thank you. <laughs> I'm not doing it. But he said, when you fast. The expectation of believers in Jesus is that we would be fasting. We don't fast to manipulate God. We fast to enter into His presence. We fast through repentance. We fast to attract the presence of God. Why? Tommy Tenney said the more death He smells, the closer He comes. We will do some corporate fasting together in the future. We'll lay that out for you. Allison Skinner starts as our Kingdom Kids Coordinator. Tomorrow is her first day. Praise the Lord. She's in toddlers working with kids right now. Praise the Lord. But Allison is a part of the new wineskin and what God is doing. Because we need help. We have got a lot of babies in here. We've got a whole lot of people with a lot of kids. Thank you, God. Do you know what the greatest privilege of my life is, honestly? Outside of my marriage and our children now, was growing up in a spirit-filled environment. I remember being like 10 years old and learning that people thought speaking in tongues was weird. I was like, wow, well, you're weird. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I, I, what, what, what's the big deal? I didn't get baptized in religion. I just got the real deal from birth. Don't you want that for your kids? 
I look at all your kids and I'm like, hallelujah, they're never going to know all the garbage and all the entertainment out there. They're just going to know Jesus. They're going to be, I mean, y'all, please reject the lie that what teenagers need is some kind of party and video games and whatever. No, teenagers need God. They, they, I mean, we did it. We had a youth ministry of kids fasting, praying, worshiping, loving God, learning to prophesy, God stirring them up, and it made an impact on them that still carries on to this day. We have our Indiana Awakening meetings. This is just a picture. We've been gathering here. We want you to make Sunday nights a priority. Tonight at 6.30, we will be back here to worship and pray and get in the Holy Ghost and see what God does. We believe that God is asking us to host something for the region. I don't say that in arrogance. It's just out of obedience. We believe that God wants to put the wineskin on display. We have seen pastors and leaders from all over in the last 10 days. People are contacting us, worship leaders of other churches, pastors of other churches, and saying, we want the presence of God like that. Will you show us? And that's the point. Absolutely. Because we want every church to catch fire. We want every place to be full of God's presence. We don't need all the churches shutting down. We need them on fire for Jesus. There's a regional thing that's happening here. Y'all, there are over 100 churches in Hendricks County alone. You know how many of them are filled with the Spirit? Just a handful. And some of them on their website, it says they're spirit-filled, but that ain't the truth. It's not to criticize anybody. There's a famine here, but that's changing. Because in a dry and weary land where there is no water, God makes rivers in the desert. If this whole place is dry, sounds like a great ingredient for a wildfire to me i want to see indiana catch fire when i repented for hating living here something broke off of me and i was like you know what i just want to carry whatever you've asked me to carry and do what you've asked me to do man indiana needs to be revived hoosiers need spiritual cpr we need to snap out of it and wake up because jesus is coming back we need to stop playing church and get in the river of the presence and power of God. Somebody say amen this morning. Ben Sullivan is joining in training for eldership with Austin and Mitchell. Ben preached last Sunday and brought the word of the Lord. It's his story to tell, but what a journey he and Kelsey have been on. Ben carries gifts and fire with him that are going to help equip and stabilize this place. And great compliment to what Austin and Mitchell carry. So say it with me. Austin. Austin. Mitchell. Mitchell. Ben Sullivan. Shepherding, caring, counseling, teaching, loving you. This is New Testament order. Are you hearing me? All right, I want to ask the three of you to stand and come up here. And we are going to have just a brief moment of silence as the old wineskin fades away.
We're going to allow our expectations, our desires for this place to die and to fade. Jesus, would you establish your kingdom at our Father's house? Lord, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for your presence. God, we're hungry for more of your spirit. We just want the real thing. We want real anointing, real presence, real power. Lord, we thank you for the new wineskin right now, for the way that you're shifting and changing things. God, we thank you for what you're doing here and we honor you. Lord, we thank you that where there's order, there's power. Where there's order, there's peace. Where there's order, there's presence. And Lord, we've determined to build this place according to the pattern that honors you because we don't dare do church in our own strength with our own ideas. Jesus, this is so you would be seen and glorified. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.